This episode of the Police One Podcast is sponsored by Officer Store. Learn more about getting the gear you need at prices you can afford by visiting officerstore.com. Hey, welcome back to Policing Matters on PoliceOne.com. I'm your host, Jim Dudley. Hey, I hope you are checking us out on YouTube as well. You can check out what uh, our guests look like and check out some of the show notes and uh, graphics as well. Is artificial intelligence coming to day-to-day police work? If so, how can it be used? Well, Polis has announced the commercial release of Trustat, a multimodal AI system for analysis of body-warm camera video, the BWC. Trustat integrates three kinds of advanced AI technology to enable police agencies and communities to examine key patterns and interactions between officers and the public. Identifying these patterns empowers agencies and communities with valuable, actionable data on police community trust and other critical public safety issues. Well, our guest today is Jonathan M. Wender, PhD. He is the president and co-founder of Polis Solutions, Inc. He is a 20-year police veteran, interdisciplinary social scientist, an internationally recognized expert on police reform and police decision-making and the use of force. Jonathan's area of expertise is face-to-face interactions in situations where risk is high and trust is low. He is the lead developer of Polis's T3, Tact, Tactics, and Trust, and Adapt Training Systems. Well, welcome to Policing Matters, Jonathan Wender. Thank you so much, Jim. It's a pleasure and privilege to be on here talking with you and your guests today. Well, thanks. Hey, tell us about Trustat and how it works. Sure. So Trustat is what we call a multimodal artificial intelligence system. And multimodal is just a fancy way of saying that we take different kinds of AI and integrate them together to get computers to approximate what a human observer does in an actual social interaction. So when two people are interacting, like you and I are now, we're basically doing three things. Uh, Number one, we're trying to analyze each other's behavior, right? What are you doing and what am I doing? Number two, we look at what the other person is saying. And number three, we look at how the person is saying it. So there's a difference between, hey, good morning, Jim, and yeah, hey, Jim, right? So they're, and wrapped around all that is context. So we're with trust at deploying a system that has the capability to analyze at scale vast quantities of body-worn camera footage. And as you know, for any department, body-worn camera footage is the agency's single largest source of data about its interactions with the community. It's a treasure trove. And up to this point, we haven't really had effective, accurate science-based technology to analyze this critical source of data, which has profound implications for both officer and public safety. Yeah. So why is it important to agency leaders? And I want to I want to qualify that a little bit with we all have you know, when we when we do interviewing and interrogation techniques, we often ask uh, some lead up questions to find out someone's truth telling style. And we all have different affects and different way of answering things. How is it digested and given back to leaders? And why is it important to those agency leaders? Sure. 
So what for us, the unit of analysis, what we look at is not just the officer, we look at the entire interaction. So this conversation now is not Jim plus Jonathan equals two, it's bigger than that. So what we look at with Trustat, Trustat measures patterns and interactions. What we don't do is say, you're a good cop, you're a bad cop, you're a good citizen, you're a bad citizen. We look at an interaction and say, look, here are the ups and downs, the highs and lows. Here's how various people contributed to the interaction and to its outcome. Uh, we are, in effect, providing departments with what you can think of as lab results, right? It's like getting a lab test for your blood. We are affirmatively not in the business of telling you who's right or wrong or good or bad. We provide critical information about patterns that human beings, human experts within a department need to sit down and consider with respect to policies, procedures, practices, and so on. Um, we, we're objective, and we are looking at a host of different inputs that get beyond the subjectivity of, of whether Jim talks a certain way or Jonathan talks a certain way. We're looking at universal features of interaction that are independent of race, ethnicity, and, and, and other human categories. Um, there are elements of human interaction that emerged very, very early in childhood, the way people orient themselves toward each other, uh, tones of voice, the way we look at each other. There are many things that we know from research drive interaction, and we can measure and track those things over time. Most of all, and this is why we call it trust at, we're looking at the ability of officers to build trust and rapport to de-escalate, to use good practices. And we're also looking for the way in which community members interact with officers. And wrapped around all of this for us is the firm belief that despite media hyperbole around rare catastrophes and failures, almost all police community interactions go well, right? The use of force rate nationally, we know that in about one to 3% of interactions, there's use of force. And as you and your listeners know well, almost all of those one to three percent are within law and policy. This tells us that in most communities, 97 to 99 percent of police community interactions are nonviolent. Why is that? And so the, the most important feature of trust stat for an organization and for a community is to highlight and better understand those patterns of success, right? What are community members or what are officers doing that make things go well almost all the time? And very much like watching game footage, right? Imagine a, a sports team that had an overwhelming winning record, right? Because in policing, again, we are getting things right 97 to 99% of the time. Why is that? By only looking at the rare failures and trying to reverse engineer, we're missing the chance to say, Here's a case where an officer arrested a violent felon with no force. Here's successful de-escalation. Here is an officer building rapport with somebody on a street corner at three o'clock in the morning where nobody would ever know because we're not ever gonna, no one's ever going to pull this footage. Um, right now, the way we look at body-worn camera footage is almost always driven by a negative paradigm. It's driven by a fear of failure rather than a celebration and analysis of success. So break it down into you and I are talking. I've got sunglasses on and a cap pulled down really low and I'm avoiding eye contact with you. You ask me some questions and you go to, to make a pat down search and I resist. What could you tell from that interaction? 
Sure. So in an example like that, uh, we can look at, at your demeanor in, in approaching a suspect. We can look at the suspect's demeanor. I'll, I'll give you a, a practical example. Uh, what We can look at how officers come into an interaction. Is the officer coming in calm, controlled? Uh, what's, the, what's the level of emotionality in the officer's voice? What's the emotionality in the other person? So we can look uh, not just at the emotions people are are manifesting, but the intensity of those emotions. Uh, is somebody really upset but cooperative as opposed to a coiled snake? These are the kinds of things that we can look at. We can look at physical actions. We can detect various kinds of events related to force. Uh, and we can look also at the content of speech. So there's we're looking at multiple different signals, merging those together, using models of human interaction from different kinds of social science, as well as drawing on a vast body of research and operational expertise on policing. Um, to, to do work like this, whether it's Polis or anybody else who wants to do it, there are really three legs of the stool. The first thing you have to understand is artificial intelligence, right? You have to have the computational capability. The second thing you need to have is expertise on social interaction, right? What makes or breaks interactions between people. And again, the drivers of human interaction are universal. It doesn't matter what color skin a person has. It doesn't matter what country they grew up in. It doesn't matter what language they speak. The basics of human interaction are universal, like the elements that make up the natural world. The third thing you need to understand is policing, right? You need to understand the, the complex operational reality of the policing environment, and you need to put all that together. I also want to inject in this point of the conversation, I know there's a lot of swirling controversy and confusion around AI. And I tell people all the time, artificial intelligence is neither artificial nor intelligent, right? It's AI is made by people like my colleagues and me, folks with backgrounds in technology and engineering, computer science, and it's not intelligent, right? It, it represents the collective input of human beings. So whether AI, the, the, the failures of AI, the successes of AI, its promises and its limitations, all of that is nothing more and nothing less than the capabilities of people. This is not some disembodied creature that comes out of a sci-fi movie. Yeah, but cops are really good already. I mean, I'm gonna call them HI, right? It's human intelligence. So cops are really good at shifting and adjusting to things on the fly and taking nuances in people's behavior and reacting. So I've seen uh, studies already where um, a police officer may pull up to someone, pull someone over, go up and approach, sir or ma'am, uh, I pulled you over for speeding. Can I have your license and registration, please? And then in turn, they see uh, uh, another vehicle stop where the officer goes up and says, hey, how's it going? How you doing? Hey, check it out. You know, there's a stop sign back there. A little more conversational, a little more um, loose. And I've seen that used against police saying that that sign of disrespect caused a, a negative interaction where in reality, I think cops are trying to adjust to the situation at hand not to be insulting, but just sort of make it a more casual or a, a level uh, communication one-to-one. How's this different from that? So, that, so that, that's a great question, Jim. And we actually, there's one, one of my favorite videos that we show in some of our demos. It's um, our, 
our largest agency using this so far is Dallas. We've got a wonderful example from Dallas. You have a, um, a, a white patrol officer who responds to a disturbance call in a predominantly black neighborhood with, with, with a, a long history of high violent crime. The officer um, does a great job of, of just handling the underlying call, which is pretty simple. Um, but then the officer and, and and the guy who called 911 just start chatting, just have this casual banter back and forth. A, a young guy standing off to the side joins a conversation. And there's this wonderful back and forth between this officer and these two guys in the neighborhood. And uh, any cop would recognize this as a really good example of community policing and authentic engagement. To folks who don't know policing, it would be this endless string of, of, of F-bombs and things that are profane and gross. Um, but th this is exactly why you need to inform the analytic process uh, from multiple different perspectives. You know, there have been, some, as you mentioned, there have been some efforts to analyze body-worn camera footage that mistakenly ascribe meanings to words that shouldn't be ascribed, right? So there's a difference. If I say to you, hey, good morning, Jim, that's sneering and condescending, as opposed to, you know, hey, how the F are you? That in, in a certain context, that might be friendly. So all of this is to say context is critical. You need to look at multiple different sources of information. And I also want to be 100% clear, uh, as powerful and promising as I think this technology is, it will never, ever replace human judgment and expertise. Any more than medical diagnostics replaces the expertise of a clinician or a doctor. So this is going back to the analogy I gave you of lab results. It's very important for people in maintaining their health to get lab work done, to get their blood work run. But the lab does not have the authority or knowledge to say, hey, Jim, here are your blood results. You're sick, you're healthy. What the information from the lab results empowers you and empowers your healthcare providers to sit down and decide what's important and what's not, what's critical and what's not. So what we do is trust that to say, we might, for example, say, here's an example of, of an officer talking on a street corner. And the beauty of the example I just mentioned to you, while this, this interaction is laced with profanity, when you look at how the officer is talking to these two guys on a corner, when you look at the lines, they're literally in sync. They're laughing, they're smiling, they're joking, they're looking at each other. So, but if someone just looked at the transcript, they might say, oh my God, we need to send this guy to IA. When in fact, if you look at the video, the officer probably deserves a commendation for what a great job he did, not just in handling the call, but in building trust in one of those moments that nobody ever sees. Mm -hmm. Got it. Hey, here on the West Coast, legislators have been really leery of AI systems. There's even been a ban on things like facial recognition for a couple of years. What's been the pushback been uh, at the places you've been using uh, Trustat? So, so far, we we haven't seen a whole lot of pushback. Um, I I will say, look, it's it's no secret to anybody, you or any of your of your audience. Uh, AI is controversial, like any new technology, because AI is evolving so rapidly, uh, it naturally gives people both promise and, and fear. That's that's to be expected. Um, I also want to say what we do is not facial recognition. We, we don't do it and can't do it. It's not what we're interested in. So there's a big difference between the analytics we do and saying that's Jim Dudley in that video. That's Jonathan Wender. We don't do that. We don't want to do that. Um, but as far as pushback goes, what I tell people 
on all sides of the conversation, whether it's a police union president or a police chief or a community activist or researchers, look, AI is here to to stay. AI is not going anywhere. And your fear, your skepticism, you're running away and and putting your head in the sand like an ostrich isn't going to make it disappear. So um, when we get pushed back, I tell people, look, you know what? Your concerns are legitimate. Take a seat at the table. Let's let's talk through this. And to give you an example of, of how we work to refine the technology, part of what we're doing in Dallas now is using input from different kinds of people, police supervisors, community members, and as well as researchers to continuously reform and refine how we analyze data. You know, analyzing police body-worn camera footage is a, a complicated task, and we believe it has to be done fairly and transparently and rigorously. And I'm, you know, I, I'm proud to say that uh, the interest we've gotten in trust that doesn't just come from cops, it comes from people who are interested in police accountability and um, from researchers. So we're uh, we're user agnostic. We think that looking at the entire interaction using broad ranging diverse inputs is the best way to go. It's the objective way to go and it's the fair way to go to represent the interests of everybody who fairly and rightly needs to be heard. Yeah, imagine that legislation that comes after learning about the system instead of before, right? Well, and, you know, and, and I look, I think from there's, uh, you're going to get, you will always have skeptics on any, on any side of the conversation. What I tell officers is, look, in, in your agency, things go well almost all the time. Don't you and the public deserve to know why that is, right? We get things right almost all the time. And I tell skeptical folks on the community side, look, um, this is the biggest source of data that your agency has about what's going on on the street. Hmm. Shouldn't you know what that data says, right? I mean, I, I think of it this way, Jim. Imagine a private sector company that collected a huge amount of information on the quality and outcomes of its interactions with its customers. And this and this private sector company said, we're going to collect it, we're going to store it, but we're not going to look at it. Uh, I think it's fair to say that such a company would probably fail. Leaders would be fired. Uh, shareholders would flee because that's untenable. So from where Polis sits, whether it's community interests or police interests, and frankly, we think almost all the time those overlap, um, we think there's a political and an ethical and a professional responsibility to look at this vast amount of data, which has implications for officer safety, for, for public safety, for public trust, for accountability. And um, we think the day has come and the technology is now here to do something with all this that, that's to the benefit of everybody. Yeah, for sure. And I want to ask you about tracking data. But first, I'd like to take a moment and thank our sponsor. Officer Store, equipping protectors with passion. That's how we operate, and it's how we live. We understand that having the right gear can mean the difference between life and death. Our goal is to get you the gear you need, when you need it, at prices you can afford. Visit us at officerstore.com. And we're back, and I'm speaking with Jonathan Wender, president and co-founder of Polis Solutions. We're talking about TrustStat. How ultimately, how will it help officers in the field? So TrustStat, uh, the way the system is developed, we we analyze body-worn camera footage, and the results of that analysis get pushed along a wide range of organizational community objectives. So uh, the analysis can be used for training. It can be used for performance evaluation. It can be, it can be used to measure 
the quality of police community interactions. It can be used to better calibrate and direct patrol resources. Um, it, to sort of pull back for a second, the whole reason we call it trust stat, everybody listening to this podcast will be familiar with the idea of comp stat, right? We, we count criminals, we count offenses, and we drill down and we, we want to know how many people got robbed or had their, their cars broken into and beat X or district Y. The goal of trust stat is to, is to say, look, at the end of the day, whether or not crime goes up and down, what the police do or can't do, that all comes down to trust. What we're overlaying onto crime stats is a rich source of information, a rich analysis of information about what really happens out on the street when officers and community members interact. So uh, from an officer's perspective, from a chief's perspective, from the perspective of everybody inside an organization, you get much richer insights into what's happening on the street. Mm -hmm. uh, and that information can be used for a whole range of different organizational purposes, from FTO to in-service training to officer safety training. Um, we're, uh, we're talking to a couple of agencies now that want to look at uh, use of force events and de-escalation events to analyze what techniques work, which ones didn't, what de-escalation practices work. So there's a massive amount of data here. Um, and frankly, there's a lot we can customize, right? This is not an out-of-the-box solution by design. We, we can take the data and use it for multiple different purposes. It's not a one-size-fits-all solution. It's meant to be customizable based on what an agency wants to do with it. Yeah, and it's interesting that you mentioned Comstat, and I'm thinking about crime maps, where you could do an overlay of use of force incidents if they're concentrated in an area, and then look at the individual interactions to see what the contributing factors were. No, exactly. In fact, and so what you know, there's there's an agency we're working with in, in North Carolina, which has a very high rate of violent crime. Um, they make lots and lots of arrests for gun crimes, but the use of force rate is very low. So one of the things this agency wants to look at is uh, arrests of violent felons and trying to understand better why is forced use so little? Because clearly officers are doing a good job of de-escalating, of using good tactics in uh, taking violent offenders into custody. And in addition, offenders, for the most part, are cooperating, complying. So we want to understand that. Right? One, of the, one of the analogies I often use beside medicine is aviation, right? When, when an aircraft crashes... It's big news. Everybody wonders, my, my God, what happened? But the bigger news is commercial aircraft rarely have collisions. It's very, very rare. So we, we want to look in policing, not just at the rare catastrophic failures, but at the vast rate of success, which is undeniable. Uh, and unfortunately, most body-worn camera analysis up to this point has focused on rare catastrophic events rather than on the day-in, day-out interactions, which give you that rich tapestry of trust, right? What And so imagine for a chief or a patrol sergeant, for an officer, knowing this is the ebb and flow of interactions in my neighborhood. Um, I'll give you another example from Dallas. We had a, um, a video we came across, um, patrol officers uh, being proactive, doing a good job. They they see a guy who matches a description of a burglary suspect from the day before. Um, they stop him and detain him. Now, uh, as it happens, the in this incident, the officers happen to be white. The, the suspect happens to be black. And it turns out to be a, a case of mistaken identity. And uh, in this video, you see the, um, 
the emotions of the of the man who was stopped go from surprised and angry at the end he's happy the officers uh they take off the cuffs they apologize and one of the things you also see in this analysis is sadness and when some of our uh analysts were first looking at this they said well why is the sadness coming and they and as they look deeper they saw well the sadness is coming from one of the officers who realized they'd made a mistake and he apologizes. Now, this is a great example of procedural justice of officers who did the right thing legally. Someone matched a description, so they had pro they had reasonable suspicion to stop and detain this man. They made a mistake, they apologized, and they let him go. No one would ever see this incident, right? If, if, if it had resulted in violence, especially extreme violence or death, it would have been all over the news. But so for a city like Dallas or the other places where we're working, this is a great opportunity to see why things went well. And so that's the real value of this system is to look at the overwhelming record of positive interactions and try to more objectively and scientifically analyze these, those and use that data to better inform policies, procedures, tactics, and, and, and to optimize community engagement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, another example of HI, human intelligence, where uh, officers shift on the fly. Like, like we, like you said, we only concentrate on the bad results, but so many of these interactions have that fork in the road, where something the cop does or says can steer it back to not going south. No, exactly. It's, exactly. And, and the and the goal of TrustStat is to identify those patterns. It is it is not in any way, shape or form to replace human judgment. So I think that's uh, the goal is to empower departments and, and to empower communities. But I, I just want to I'll say it again because I've said it several times, but I really want the message to stick. Uh, this this technology supplements and improves human judgment. It cannot and never will replace it. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, will the data come into annual reports to talk about successes and failures and precursors to uh, resistance by subjects, something like that? It certainly could, right? In, in every agency where we work, there are different use cases. We're in conversations with researchers who see enormous promise for using data, not just around use of force, but averted use of force. Mm -hmm. uh, we One of the biggest problems with so much police research is that it often focuses on rare failures. Uh, but there, there are so many ways to deploy this technology. Really, it's just it's, it's up to what departments and communities want to do. It's up to the human imagination. There's a, a really there's a lot of horsepower here that we can deploy in many different valuable ways. Mm -hmm. And then in court, um, you know, we've seen body cam footage played out in court. Do you see any of your data driven uh, analytics used in court as well? So, I, you know, I I'm not an attorney. I think it's we're, it's it. We're early in in the implementation of technology like this. Um, I'm sure that courts will be talking about how information like this can and should be used. Um, but we're we're very careful uh, to to analyze interactions at at a, at a holistic level. We we don't want to claim to do what's not our responsibility, which is to evaluate officer performance and say you're good, you're bad. Nor do we want to say that about citizens, right? What we do want to do is say, sort of back to back to the medical analogy. Hey, Jim, you went to the, you know you went to the lab. Here are your blood results. These these things are within normal range. This is above. This is below. Uh, so we we look at ranges 
and we tell you what's normal, what's above normal, what's below normal. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's not our responsibility to tell you whether that's good or bad. But certainly, I I, I imagine over time, as technology like this becomes more widely deployed, I, I, I'm sure it will be used in, in a range of different ways, legally and administratively. Mm -hmm. And hey, I want to wrap up. Uh, thanks so much for spending so much time with us today. What would be the training benefits of the Trustat systems? So the training benefit uh, is to, most important, highlight the importance of adaptive decision-making for officers. You've said several times here, Jim, that good officers adjust on the fly. Good officers uh, are able to figure out quickly what's going on, right? There's a, so what, what Trustat can do is help better identify patterns of expertise, surface those, and let agencies train newer officers more quickly and more effectively, right? So the, 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 the one-liner is it accelerates the development of expertise by identifying best practices. Okay, got it. Hey, thanks so much. We are including a uh, link to Trustat in our show notes. Anything else you're working on? Any uh, articles that uh, we're seeing? I know you've written for Police One. What, what else you got out there? So we are uh, we're actually rolling out uh, some new training programs. We're uh, we just uh, we are in the process right now of rolling out a, a new basic skills of influence course. Um, that's an NIJ funded project. Our uh, partner agency there is Virginia Beach. Uh, we've got a great cadre of trainers there. We did a train the trainer. Um, Virginia Beach is now pushing this training out to a, a group of study officers. And we're actually gonna be looking at body-worn camera footage in that study. The, the basic skills of influence training is designed to give officers uh, an improved capacity to understand people's emotions and to try to build trust and gain compliance across the full spectrum of police community interactions. Very cool new curriculum. Um, it's a second generation of work we did in T3. And uh, we're, we're grateful to the Virginia Beach Police Department, NIJ, and um, the, the lead on the project, Clemson University, for uh, making us a part of this exciting opportunity and effort. Nice. Well, thanks for being on the show, Jonathan Wender, president and co-founder of Polis Solutions. And thanks for being on the front edge of AI. Good to have people like you with policing experience, interpreting the data and applying it to actual police work. Appreciate it. Thank you again, Jim. It's been my pleasure to be on here and really an honor. Thank you again. And uh, to everybody out there, you guys be safe. Yeah. And to our listeners, uh, Jonathan Wender said it, be safe. Thanks for listening. Thanks for checking in. Hope you enjoyed today's show. Let me know what you think. Drop me a line at policing matters at police1.com. Policing matters at police1.com. And check us out on the YouTube channel. Uh, check us out on Police One YouTube and uh, let me know what you think. All right. Take good care. Talk to you soon. <laughs>